0: that's right chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com welcome to the good news with angie austin now with the good news here's angie Hey, friend Angie Austin here, along with Dr. Cheryl Lentz, the academic entrepreneur. And we're going to be talking about a new book and also some advice for continuing with the last tidbits of advice from successful entrepreneurs. And you have some exciting professional news, Dr. Cheryl Lentz. Welcome.
1: Welcome indeed. Thank you so much, Angie. Always a pleasure to be here with you and your folks.
0: Tell us the news.
1: I have completed my second master's degree on Sunday, and I am so excited. It took me a year to do it, and now it's over. And I have no idea what I'm going to do with it, but I finished it.
0: Okay, so you started your education in music. You completely switched. So tell us, kind of the uh, the story of your uh, you know your educational route.
1: Oh, that's kind of funny. You're right. I was adjusted by what I was expected to do as music in college. I was kicked out of the program and then went into just a liberal arts degree for my undergrad from the University of Illinois. I got a second master's when I was in Japan as a military wife uh, with uh, an MS in international relations. Then I went on to my doctorate with a, a doctorate of management and organizational leadership. And because I made a smart aleck remark saying if somebody was going to pay for me to go back to school, I'd go. They said they would. So I did. Wow. Now the second master's is a master's of science in criminal justice, public management and leadership. So there you go.
0: Oh, I'm so proud of you. It must feel so good <laughs> because my dad used to always say he was a professor with his Ph.D. as well. And he said, uh, no one can ever take your education away from you. You know, and it's just it's yeah. there. It's there forever. Whether you're poor, whether you're rich, whether you're, you know, medium, <laughs> you know, exactly. you, you have that education. Oh, that's so wonderful. You must be, have, was it a real sense of relief when you got the information about that you'd uh, finished the program?
1: It was because I wasn't intending to finish this quick. When the semester ended on Sunday, a colleague of mine on that Monday said, Cheryl, why are you waiting? You know, you're you just going to take it easy, get back from my trip to San Diego. And she's like, suck it up, buttercup. And I'm like, oh, man. So she lit a fire under me, 35 hours worth of work to be able to get all that stuff done. I turned it in Saturday morning and Sunday afternoon I found out. So
0: Wow, that is <laughs> like, phenomenal. And this is like
1: this, for a month. Do that again? <laughs> I'm going to sleep for a month.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness! And you know, for everyone listening, you know, again, keep in mind, Cheryl wasn't kicked out of the music program because she wasn't a good student. It was just that her professor, that handled the program, felt that she wasn't uh, an Olympian in terms of her ability to play, you know, the organ like the organ that people hear in church, like Correct. the real I, you know, deal. I wasn't
1: a problem child. I wasn't a disciplinary, either. <laughs> I just wasn't. I was competent. I was adequate. I wasn't a rock star at that level. And he was worried I just couldn't compete. And as an Olympian, I couldn't. But because of that, I got out of the game and my life went into a really different direction. <laughs> now, you
0: have been playing the organ again. First time since really since then, since college. And how has that been going? Cause I know you, you played it the first time again on Valentine's Day.
1: Correct. Excellent memory. We've been doing it for about a month. And then now that Easter is upon us, uh, I've been uh, backfilled a little bit because they need the church. So I haven't played for about three weeks. And I think that you know, I may have to wait till Easter ends just because the church is in high demand. And a pipe organ is not something you can easily move. <laughs> right. So when everyone's using the church, I have to kind of take a step back. But I've been playing for a bit. And it's good to be back. I'll tell you, it's nice to know I still have some chops.
0: So. Oh, it's so exciting. Okay, so um, let's talk about the book, the book, your book friend's book what's the book
1: the book is called the fearless entrepreneurs fear less be more by Linda Sunshine West and I thought this was the whole idea of you know I like the idea of failure and I and so when I saw that it's like fearless it caught my attention and there's a line in here that has just got my attention that is really cool because most of the time the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? What doesn't work is what we focus on. But there's a paragraph here that says another big mistake management makes is to assume because things are going well, investment in customer and office relationships can now be ignored. And I looked at that. Repeat that again. It says that when we are, things are going well, we stop investing in relationships. We just think that, well, everything's fine. And if I don't hear to the contrary, just leave it alone. And the answer is no. Because when you Stop focusing on relationships, you can actually do more harm because people now feel unheard, unwelcome. They're not, you're not investing in them anymore, and it can easily turn toxic. And again, most of the time we focus on what isn't working. And he's like, no, keep focusing on what is working and keep doing more of it. And I just like, wow, that's good advice.
0: I like that. And I think oh, we can get very complacent um, with relationships. And you can explain specifically what types of relationships. But in general, I think we sit in the lazy boy of life when things are going okay. And like, ah, just sit down here and have a beverage. You know, just like...
1: Well, exactly. Hey. Why do I have to work on it if everything's fine? I used to have somebody I worked with uh, probably about 15 years ago. He says, as long as I don't hear complaints, that means everything's going okay. It's like, no, you just have a team who isn't willing to complain because they're complaining to me. <laughs> okay,
0: that is interesting because that reminds me of like the old school dude, you know, like back in the day when all of our bosses were guys, you know, which young people can't relate to that when all the bosses were guys. But I worked with an anchor woman that she was the girl, like when she called a station and was, you know, interested in working and she did the helicopter, uh, at the time she did the uh, helicopter uh, traffic and uh, she wore sometimes this silver jumpsuit. I mean, she had a great figure too. And um, she called around and they said, no, we already have our girl. We have our girl. And then my um, main producer, on the 11 o'clock news, who was Emmy award winning, really capable, worked like 60, 70 hour work weeks on salary, like not for extra pay. This is just, she cared about her job. She said when she first started and she answered the phone to handle a problem and she was a producer and, uh, they said, I, I, honey, I need to speak with a man. I need someone that can handle my problem. You know, can I, I need a man. And it's just the stories they would tell me even, you know, at my age, um, you know, and I've been working now for 25 years, uh, so go back 25 years and these stories blew my mind because I couldn't believe that it was that sexist just one generation prior to me.
1: Oh, let me add to your stories. I remember when I was at, uh, at the radio station and we had corporate coming in, all guys, one token female at that C, you know, C-suite level. And one of the guys said, you know what, the corporate folks are coming, let's make sure you're in that hot little black dress number, you know, that when you come, and I looked at him, and it was a guy who said this, oh, my goodness. and I didn't say anything back then, because I didn't know what to say, but from that point forward, I wondered how I got my job, it was because I how I filled out a little black dress, so I could have a seat at the table, because I was a token female in that company. Oh my goodness, had a, you know, I had
0: one of my favorite uh, news directors said to me, um, and this was maybe mm, what would this have been, about 15 years ago, probably, one of my favorite news directors Said to me um, We were talking about uh, You know I was married uh, And my husband Also worked at the station And he was one of the directors My husband's 6'6 six, six, Very you know um, Very much manly You know Manly dude And uh, we were all In this conference room Talking about something And you know My husband and I Each have our jobs Like I handle all dental He handles the oil changes You know I handle all phones Like he is Phones and TVs He's completely inept But he can handle the computer And I'm inept Oftentimes with the computers so we have our roles. So anyway, we were talking about Wi-Fi, and he asked what kind I had or this, that, and the other. I said, I don't know. My, hun- my husband handles all of that. And he said, oh, why don't you just go home and bake some muffins? Oh! And I just remember it sticking in my brain like, you're not supposed to say that. Like, it wasn't horrible, right? And I I really liked him. And he hired me. He hired me over a man, in fact. Um, You know, it was between me and another kind of an Al Roker type guy for this weather position that I was applying for. And he hired me. But, you know, it was definitely some... uh, sexism still exists in the workplace and I know a lot of people listening will be oh give me a break women there's all kinds of women in higher positions this that and the other but you know we haven't had a, a female uh, president yet and we haven't had a white female vice president or Hispanic for that matter but what I'm saying is there is still sexism out there and because of the world we live in right now we're not supposed to talk about it because if we do and we say that there are inequities um, a lot of hate comes towards you these days it's, it's hard to express your opinion on some of these topics without people turning on you, the, the woke crowd. My husband says, what does woke mean? I go, well, it means like their, their eyes have been open to the injustices of the world. And they're going to let us know how we're wrong or this, that, and the other. And it's kind of a frightening time to express your opinion.
1: Well, that's why you can only share your experiences. I mean, I still remember when I was buying a car with my husband and I had finished, I think I had finished my master's degree at this time. And it was really hysterical as we go to this dealership and the two of us are sitting there and it's my car. And I look at the guy and ask him a question. He looks at my husband and gives him the answer. And he did this a second time. And I ask him a question. He looks at my husband. He answers the question. My husband puts his hands there. He goes, go get him. And I just look at him, it's like, you just lost the sale. It's my car. I am perfectly competent. And you don't have to talk to my husband. You need to talk to me. And I walked away.
0: It's so interesting to me that, you know, you and I aren't very big women. We're, you know, rather small women. But we have rather imposing personalities. <laughs> and it's hard to believe that anyone would kind of dismiss you. Oh, um, and, it was but- just,
1: and I just watched it. And I did it three times, to be honest, to make sure that I'm not imagining this. And I'm looking at my husband going, you're, you're seeing this, right? Unbelievable. <laughs> you
0: know Unbelievable.
1: Believe it. I'm going. You know, I'm perfectly capable of buying my own car. It's my payments, and it's my. And I would appreciate respect that you would answer me. He says, but women just don't buy cars, and they don't know anything about cars. We have to talk to the man. And I'm like, oh, did the hair in the back of my neck stand up? Going, oh, you just said the wrong thing to the wrong.
0: Yeah, no kidding. And he could at least look at both of you. You know, that's exactly. interesting to me.
1: And All the right. next guy that I went, you know, he just he was so respectful. I told him, and he did everything else, and he got the sale immediately. Nicest guy ever. You know, so you
0: know, it's just um he, uh, to me, the art of sales is so easy. I mean, sales is uh be uh, developing a relationship with the person, yeah. whether that be long term or just the day that they're in the dealership, and that is being respectful and you know friendly and you know not faky, but you know really uh, respecting that person's want- and needs and, um, and showing that you defer to them, per se. and well, leave uh,
1: the room, you know. If nothing else, understand the dynamic and be courtesy about it. Just don't make assumptions. And that was it. And I just kept laughing going, oh, that guy's digging himself a hole. It's going to no. be not so good for him. <laughs>
0: uh, my husband loves going to. he You know, he's in he's been in sales much of his life. He loves to go strike a bargain on a car. To buy a car, to me, is my worst nightmare. So I actually me do too. let him handle it, but it is not fun to me. But I would be offended if they were completely disrespectful to me even though I probably would let him take you know the reins uh at, you know looking for the best deal he usually shops like three different dealerships and tries to get the best deal he can at least that's what he did when we bought our one new car which right now is not something that many people are doing because the prices are so outrageous like the first time I really want a new car I've only had one it was like this Toyota Tacoma truck when I lived in LA just little you know mini truck uh but I I'd like a car now, but it's just not a good time to get one. But I am dreading the day we do that. Now, we are going to go into our topic. Okay. Um, so give us kind of a, we've got about two minutes left. Give us kind of an intro on, uh, the, on the book and what we're going to talk about in the next segment.
1: Well, the idea is really looking at the how do entrepreneurs, it's the mindset, right? We've talked about this before, is entrepreneurs think differently in there because we have to be able to have a lot more hats, particularly if you're the owner, the marketing, the sales in there, and we're often really afraid. And this idea of playing small, I have a lot of things I do with my company that I'm kind of plateaued. And part of that is because I am afraid to go beyond my means and to expand, particularly in the COVID environment, particularly with a lot of things going around. And so this idea of overcoming your fear, it has nothing to do with the business, it has everything to do with my attitude.
0: So, you know, that whole I think um, so many people are held back by fear and yep. uh, it's such an interesting fear, fear of failure, really. And yep. that's you know one of your hot button topics. I think my yep. hot button is also a, an F word, forgiveness. And <laughs> uh, so you you know fear of failure and forgiveness. Each of us have our hot button topic, but I really think that so many people are held back by fear of failure. And to be honest with you, laziness. You know, there was not a lazy bone in my body when I was younger and really striving to get ahead. I would do anything, work any hours, work any shift. You know, take any position. Um, you know, whatever I needed to do to get an education and get ahead. But I feel that hunger for that now. My my energy really goes into my kids, so it's like a complete flip in what my drive is put towards now. Whereas you're getting another degree, which you just got. You know, I'm in a different phase. But maybe once my kids are raised, you know, who knows? So We're gonna take a break. Dr. Cheryl com is where you can fi- find Dr. Cheryl Lentz. She's fascinating. She's a speaker. She travels all over the country. A writer, professor, uh, jack of all. In many ways, we'll be right back with the good news. Angie Austin and today, Dr. Cheryl Lentz.
1: Loveland is listening to the mighty 670 KLT Denver.
0: You just bought a new car and it's everything you dreamed of and more. But you have so many memories with your old car, it almost feels like a family member. So you want to make sure it goes to a good home. You'll feel comfortable knowing when you donate your car to ARC thrift stores, you're giving to a good cause. You can donate anything with wheels, even motorcycles. And when you donate your vehicle, you get a tax deduction. It feels so good to give back. As you say farewell to your old vehicle, rest assured that your donation is making a difference by helping people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Donate your car to Arc Thrift Stores today. Visit arcthrift.com for more information about the car donation program. That's A R C Thrift. .com, where your good memories of that old car can become new ones for people with disabilities. The Good News here with Angie Austin and Dr. Cheryl Lentz. Welcome. We are talking about entrepreneurs today. Again, I've got a few more tidbits to uh, hit on with uh, successful entrepreneurs giving advice to other people thinking about starting their own business or already in the midst of the struggle. Dr. Cheryl Lentz just received another degree. Very excited about that. And we're talking about one of the books that you work in publishing as well. So give us the title and tell us about the um, book that concerns entrepreneurs.
1: Cool. Well, we have a book series in my company. It's called the um, Pensero Press. That's one of the three imprints for my company, and we have Refractive Thinker Press. And the book we just published uh, this past week was called Work-Life Balance. And this oh, is I'm all like the doctoral that. level research. That helps, but it's a Refractive Thinker, Volume 21, Work-Life Balance, and Amberly Lago wrote the forward for us. But our goal for this series is really to get all the research that we doctoral scholars have to do and all of the stuff that's stuck in academia. And we want to get it into the hands of business owners and people who can actually use it. We do the research. Business owners need it, but they don't have time or the money to do the research. So I'm trying to build that bridge. Mm-hmm. And so this work-life balance with COVID, some really interesting research out there. To be able to look at, well, what do you do, particularly since the lines are now blurred with so many people being at home? And so we had some interesting techniques and tips and strategies and research to be able to move that conversation forward for many who have very little experience telecommuting or working at home.
0: Okay, the whole working from home thing, I've been doing it for many years. So do you. But we're people who are driven like I don't miss my deadlines. I make sure that I make all of my, you know, interview time slots. I set up, you know, um, the people, you know, myself and I've got uh, Luke, a producer at um, the Cross. Crawford, Crawford Broadcasting and Matt who helps me and uh so I you know have to have my you know segments to them by a certain time or you know do the show live whichever we decide to do but since we've been working from home for so long a lot of it is you know me recording you and then boom then it's on the air like you know it could be on the air basically that same day an immediate turnaround so with that said um, I see with my husband's business, there's one person they talk about all the time and I'm like confounded by it that they don't know what this person does and I'm like how can you pay a person that much money and you really don't know what they do but sometimes people kind of hold you hostage with the knowledge they have of certain little things within the inner workings of the business and obviously that's a fail you know if you've got someone that kind of can hold you hostage but I'm like well what do they do exactly because i will always hear they didn't meet their deadline or somebody else is taking over the responsibilities for what they were assigned and they were given this chore but then maybe my husband will take that over as one of the, you know, uh, founders of the the company. Um, And, you know, they've got these three partners. So why is he taking over an employee's duties? Like, it doesn't even make sense to me. And so I think there are some people at home when it's not tangible, when you can't say like, oh, you have to make 25 calls a day and that you can document that, right? Or maybe they're doing um, customer service and you can see how many customers they helped and they have a certain amount of time each day that they have to be on the phone helping customers. But if it's not tangible, like that, then um, I feel like a lot of people might be just kind of hanging out and watching a little TV and not really doing all their duties. That's the problem I see with some people who are working from home. So the work-life balance ends up being a lot more life than work.
1: Well, and the challenge becomes, I've been doing this for more than 18 years myself and did a lot of jobs at home or telecommuting before telecommuting really was a thing. And we learned early those who couldn't. And it was not a skill just because, unfortunately, COVID made sure that we had to work at home. So those who didn't have those skills have failed partially, not just because of their own failures, but partially because of the failures of their leadership or management to teach them because they didn't know their people. Some people cannot be without having the structure of the office. They need the water cooler. They need to walk by the office. They need to know their bosses there. They need that structure. They can't create those boundaries at home. And I struggle to be quite candid because, you know, I'm sitting in a variety of deals. Sometimes I'm all dressed up because I'm media day and whether somebody can see me or not, I'm dressed to the nines. Other times I might be in sweats and a T-shirt. But the question is my boundaries, my ethic, my just like you, my contracts are there, my times are there, my schedules are there. And I very do my utmost best not to miss them because it doesn't matter whether I'm home or not. It, the same things need to get done. But for some people, they can't make that boundary because home to them is home and work is work and the new never to 20 shall meet. So it's a skill set and these skill sets we need to train our people, time management, budget management, work ethic of knowing the eight o'clock meeting, nope, starts at eight o'clock, not at 830, you know, right. and, and right. some of those types of responsibilities that are lost on some who just think, That rules are relaxed because we're working at home. It's like, nope, haven't changed a bit.
0: You know, it's interesting because I do have that luxury, like a lot of the guests who I've become friends with, like you over the years. In fact, you and I are going to a really cool camp over the summer together with a bunch of my family members. So we'll finally get to meet in person. But Mm -hmm. I can say to you like, oh, my gosh, the dog is barking. Like, hold on. You know, like I have that benefit of saying, I'll call you in two minutes or I have to reboot my computer. And so there are some luxuries in kind of running your own business that um, you can can't. I, I'm i surprised at how many people completely blow off an appointment, though, and will say, oh, something came up. And you're like on the call, right, waiting for them. And then something came up. Now, I'm lucky with me putting people on the radio. They generally want to um, r- respect my time and be there for the interview or they don't get interviewed. But I'm surprised how many times my husband, when he was for a short period of time working from home, which, by the way, he did not like. He did not right. feel he could get as much done. He's a workaholic. He wanted to be in the office. So uh, many times he's the only one in the office and his whole company uh because he likes to be there but anyway um back to the um the call he'll actually like message them and they'll be oh yeah something came up no you forgot about our meeting and you scheduled something else like i'm surprised how many people i not only put it in my calendar i set an alarm on my phone that goes off 15 minutes before the interview that says dr cheryl lent such and such time and it's in my calendar
1: Well, and I went back to old school because I have a paper calendar. I think I've shared a technique: is I go to the dollar store every year, and I get a a dollar for one, and then I buy a backup just in case. But I have the dollar store deal; it's not a big deal. I put it in paper because when technology doesn't work, your cell on your computer, I can't remember. And so it's got to be written down. So I have that paper backup. And unless I'm dumb enough to lose the paper backup, I know what's going to happen when tech doesn't work because you can't rely on tech. And it's not an excuse that tech ate my homework. It's not going to fly. you got a radio show. you got a contract. You have a deadline. It happens. And that's just the way it goes.
0: You know, one of the things we don't have many um, left, and um, I got this uh article we've been talking about for a few weeks, 13 entrepreneurs reveal their their best business advice. And we've gone over um, a lot of them, like listen to uh, the gut, to your gut, do the most important thing at the start of the day. Um, find the puzzle pieces that, you know, you talk to a lot of different people and they will give you their ideas and you can kind of put the puzzle together. Skills can be learned, values cannot. But I think one that's worth discussing in a little bit more um, depth is never give someone else permission to treat you in a way that is contrary to your values, principles, and beliefs. And that's from uh, one of the founders that we teach me. But I would I would go on to say, um, also don't allow them to ask you to do something or to... I don't want to say force to convince you to do something that is contrary to your values, principles, and beliefs. There have been times when if I would have been asked to do something um, that I, I had already made up in my mind, if they asked me to do such and such, like I would quit over that. And unfortunately, many people don't have the luxury of being able to, you know, quit over something like that. But I guess you can always start looking if you feel like you're being forced by someone or um, compelled, uh, manipulated by someone to do something that really... Goes against your values.
1: I call it the hill you want to die on because you know pick your battles. And I had something that I've only burned a few bridges in my time, and one of them I would burn again because it was over ethics, and I was willing to quit even not having another job, and I did. Because it was a you cannot. There is a line, and. I have to look at myself in the mirror at the end of the day, and I'm going, I know that no one else would know, but I know, and I could not do that, and that was the point of going, nope, I'm sorry, my resignation will be in your box tomorrow morning. And I always think
0: too, as a Christian, that you work for, you're not working for the man on earth, you're working like you're working for the Lord in heaven, and that means you give your 100% because you're working for the Lord, and that you're not trying to cut corners or do anything unethical to make more money, and I I 100% will not make more money um, taking Advantage of, or cheating someone, or working in the gray area where, we're like, eh. so. Well,
1: uh, I'm also an ethics professor, and this is what I teach. And the last hot button I have is hypocrisy. I am not going to teach you that which I do not do myself. I find that ultimate hypocrisy. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. The fact that I'm going
1: to teach something like that. And we also call it the, would you tell it to grandma speech?
0: Oh, I love if you're that. you're
1: not willing to tell grandma about what you do or what you did, maybe you ought not to be doing either, you know?
0: This is a terrible thing to say, but my grandma was a real bad lack, so I don't know. <laughs> I mean, she, uh, one, I really didn't know. Uh, but, uh, I mean, we only met her once, but my grandmother, my mom's mom. Uh, She was a teacher, uh, one of the coldest people I've ever met in my life, and she didn't write to me for many years. We got in an argument. I think I told you that she said the reason my mom's picture wasn't up in the living room along with the other um, kids, uh, including mine. I think there was a picture of me. I was like two or three at the time. Uh, That's the photo she had of me, and she said my mom was too fat, that she didn't want her picture up in the living room because mom's fat, and I, I, I really didn't want to speak to her ever again. I'm like, you're cruel, and you're mean, and you're hurtful, and she was not warm at all. She was not the grandma that made you... Um, you know, cookies.
1: and and milk and cookies. Yeah, she'd bring
0: like green juice that she juiced and maybe some chia (laughs) seeds and, you know, and some raw rhubarb from her garden. Like she was, you know, like a health freak. Anyway, so um, she she and I did not speak for many years because we got in a shouting match over that. I was just so appalled because my mom's really kind, even though she complains a lot and has her whatever, little, you know, quirks. My mom's a kind person. Uh, So anyway, to make a long story short, on my grandmother's deathbed, I went to go visit her we hadn't talked in years. And I had sent her a few uh, cards, you know, just like, hello, and, you know, kind of bury the hatchet kind of thing. And she never wrote back. And so on her deathbed, she's like, oh, I really am proud of the person you turned out uh, to be. And um, I'm sorry I didn't write back. I, I should have written you back. But I was just... Oh, so appalled by your horrible penmanship! That was like her dying words to me were,
1: wow. "I didn't
0: write you back because you have terrible pen- penmanship." And I said, <laughs> "Well, I work for NBC News in Los Angeles, and we type everything. So fortunately, my penmanship really doesn't come into play in my in my work
1: Come back,
0: yeah, right. We type everything. So um, anyway, that's 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 like the uh, I could yeah, my, the grandmother talk wouldn't work for me, so I'll have to figure out someone else for for that. But that's well, well,
1: someone you love, Meyer, and expect. Whether yes. it's a favorite aunt, you know, somebody that's going to have the you want them to be proud of you. If you yes. would not tell them, then maybe you ought not to be doing it. <laughs>
0: right. That'd be my aunt. So, yes. OK, that, that works for me now. OK, we've got about two minutes left. Kind of give us like uh, the parting words, the uh, uh, you know, what you want us to learn from this book and uh, the topic.
1: Well, we want to be able to, situational awareness is really the big thing. We can't fix that which we don't know. And a lot of folks don't know until they get into the work-home environment that they're not good at it. And so you have to look at, well, how are you willing, keyword, to get better at things that you're not used to? And being out of your comfort zone, working at home with all the distractions is not something to defend going, well, there's just nothing I can do. I'm at home in the restaurant, which is the excuses I hear from many in COVID. Yes. Well, then let's do something about it. Let's change the situation. Let's put some boundaries. And I give them all kinds of suggestions. They're like, you can do that. It's like, yes. The question is, you have to choose to do that. And that choice is what often the difference between sitting in your laundry, as you said, right. And just kind of watching the world go by or getting in the fight and really adjusting your skill set to match the new environment.
0: We had uh, 24 hours to figure out how to take my show from the studio uh, to at home. And uh, I think it was over like a Thanksgiving weekend or something. And we were told we could no longer use the studio at Crawford um, for another show I was doing, not this one. And uh, so we had to figure out how I could get, you know, record the show and get the segments immediately sent or go live, uh, which is what I did for many years. I did three hours live in the morning um, and we figured it out in 24 hours and we made that switching, and boy it has been such a Blessing in disguise for me I mean it was so Abrupt and so uh, quickly done um, The decision that I was like how am I going to do this But you know we figured it out and, uh, and Now it's been you know gosh Probably almost 10 years I've been able To do my show from uh, a home Studio but we have a specific studio For it I have a door the kids are not Supposed to come in when I'm on but of course I have a real Creaky door and they come in so sometimes you'll hear The door open uh, but um, In general you know I have the privacy here Oh, my goodness. We, we we talked away the whole uh, the, the whole show. Dr. Cheryl Lentz, always so fun to have you on and to chit-chat with you. com. Thank you, Cheryl.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin on AM670 KLTT. With Lucky Lentz Sluts, you can get lucky just about anywhere.